friends, welcome to episode 202, oh my god, I almost said 100, almost 202 said of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? You know, I, I'm weird. Like, tonight just feels different. Like, not bad or good, just different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... I've been uh, working on a project for us, uh, like I was just telling you, uh, where I'm actually getting all of the shows converted so we can drop them onto YouTube. Mm-hmm. So we just have an archive, first off, and two, we have another place to put the stuff. Yeah, right on. Um, and see if we can get some more listeners. Uh, and I'm constantly through the edit process listening to the end of every show. And it's interesting going back, like hearing the little changes, the tiny adjustments when we've been sick with the sound differences like it is it is different it is interesting and kind of funny and at times like oh my gosh that's what we sounded like 202 shows you get to know you know (laughs) oh god yeah oh god yeah so hopefully Um, that will be not too much longer but it's uh it's a work effort going back through all the shows you know what i like it just just kind of like occurred to me as i was reading the intro too is like we wrote this intro for episode one like we did we haven't changed a damn thing about this thing in 202 episodes it works it does yeah i mean everybody knows what to expect coming into it i think if we changed it to like some you know fox sport news intro kind of thing oh, it God, would just no. sound weird or yeah. if we did like the hey everybody you know and does, like, don't forget to like and subscribe i'm never gonna yeah. do that we'll never do that That's ring not the happen. bell notification icon. i hate all yeah. of that stuff oh, yeah, oh my no, gosh no, no. not gonna happen um, so we haven't we haven't had oh i had my game you had your game i had my game you had your which game. was different which by was far different. Yep. by far uh uh, telling at that, so uh, you and uh, one of our other, one of the other players uh, had uh, had a mini kind of encounter that we had to do for a wrap up because uh, the original fight did not, or the original incursion to go rescue did not go as went as planned. But at the very end of it, there was the hollow moment that your character did not get to go kick the butt of the bad guy that you wanted. Yeah, I I my you know, character my character is is uh, is a character who who understands the usage of power. Mhm. Um understands that if you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. Mhm. And uh that man touched my family. Yeah. So um he had to be taught that that was he and everyone around him had to be taught that that was not an option. Yeah. That they were under my protection, and so mm-hmm. there was a bloody quest for, well, frosty quest for vengeance. Which which did come to a very frosty close. Which came to a very, very frosty close, and uh, then I went home. Yeah. And, uh, so we picked up after you guys had returned and explained what had happened, or didn't go into detail explaining, but did explain what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we did some, uh, effectively, like, Savage World interludes, mm-hmm. uh, where you guys uh, went through a couple different experiences, some people... Uh, talked with other parts of the group, or very or good different... RP moments. Yeah, yeah, for a lot of a lot of a lot of us. Yeah, it was uh, it was nice to have. And then I kind of proposed something to the group, because for me it was I was in one of those kind of flux moments where it was like, okay, if this if we're gonna carry this through as D and D, I am going to have to create battle encounters to the end mm-hmm. that are meaningful mm-hmm. that that have connection points and make it feel like you guys aren't just hand waving to the final boss well let me let me sum this up from the player standpoint you said to us who wants to do this whole uh, climactic multiple battle you know as uh, thing as D&D and the entire group went oh god no yep and so then I just proposed to you guys, I'm like, okay, do you want to have a gritty 
fight to the end in a different way where it feels like you guys are working your way for it and it's it's a well-fought finish? Mm-hmm. Or do you guys kind of want to do something a bit more heroic? And everybody kind of had that same feel of they would rather have heroism. But I loved, uh, I loved one of the players... The final player's answer. Mm-hmm. And it was because it, it, it summed up everything. It was, and it was just as simple as what I'm hearing is we've basically, you know, we could either do it as the end of Infinity War or the end of Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in one, it's like, hey, we have this big fight and we people won, are dying. But and we what cause? But, but you didn't win. That was the thing. Yeah. The snap still happens. So it was like, oh, kind of a thing. And then the end game one is everybody comes in and like freaking Captain America and Thor using hammers and kicking butt and kicking faces. And and portals are opening and, and all the heroes are showing exactly. up. Heroes we forgot about from seven <laughs> movies ago are showing up. Yeah. There's an all-girl kick-butt team happening. Like, yeah, exactly. And that's what we want. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, okay, okay. And funny enough, I immediately then said, okay, we're going to finish this game with uh, 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 Blades in the Dark, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started immediately making alternative characters in Blades in the Dark instantaneously, which was hilarious to me at the same time. But I think it's just going to be better for a finish because yeah. it allows it's going to allow me to do a lot less work on my end to get the same ending. Yeah. Yeah, or, or I shouldn't say to get the same ending, to allow for a fiction ending that makes sense. Yeah. That still has variable, that still has concerns and and fun, but it allows you guys to narrate the consequences and move through it. And I, I think it's it's good. Um, I mean, I think, obviously, you know, we, we like to fill everybody in on how our, our own games are going, yeah. you know, because it's topical. But, um, you know, if, if there's a takeaway for our listeners, especially our newer storytellers, it's that, like have these conversations with sure. your with your with your you know with, with your group like about the story mm-hmm. you know how do you guys feel this should end are you going to feel cheapened or or mm-hmm. bad about having it like a a real gritty you know we won but at what cost sort of thing or do you want the big hero ending or what should i be aiming for to make this a, a good story outcome from everybody mm-hmm. without handing it to you and telling you you know how the, it's going to go giving you right. the description of the end right yeah. right 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 you nobody know? wants that Nobody wants but that. But that's a perfectly valid conversation to have, and I think we're all better for it, because that way nobody's going to be like, eh, I hated your ending. Yeah. You know? And and I almost expect that, like, the next session or two will be it. Yeah. Which it's easy to see now, because I don't have to worry about two and a half hours of combat rolls. You don't, yeah. Yeah, and remembering what what skill salvage is left out of the, you know, depreciated skill sets as people tear down through their stuff of me throwing Thrawn and more Thrawn at you until eventually you're getting to the point of fighting boss with, you know, rocks and twigs, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Actually, yeah, um, Knox in the Box in the live chat says, uh, what does closure look like to you? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good question. Like, I think that's... No, I think that's that's Heckenvale. No, I'll tell you one thing. I don't, I don't think I said this during during the, mm-hmm. the, the last session, but I yeah. will tell you right now, because it is in the room present with us, that miniature of that dragon has to make an appearance. Oh, he... I know we're not doing a tactical fight it will, for it anymore. It will come out. It will come out. But y'all need to see that one. Yeah, no, okay. it, it will be coming out. <laughs> the, the dragon will be coming out, and the other one will be coming out as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Both will be coming out. They're important to me. I think that's it's a good finish, and it will definitely be out on the table. Good. Definitely. So good, good, good. When those scenes come up, they will be there. Hold uh, on, I'm going to give a little, little, little treat to the people in the live chat. A little chat, treat? A little treat for the people in the live chat here. Okay. Uh, just you know, continue, continue. All right, all right. You know, um, walk in our, our show tonight. So, uh... 
when we first started coming up with a concept for for like we we do our shows we we do a lot of sit down and uh um drag through questions as we try and figure out like hey what do we want to do this year and some things hit the list in weird ways and some things hit the list and sarah looks at me and goes is that a show and then we start talking for more than 10 minutes and we go okay okay that's a show that counts as a show and so when this topic came up which was uh talking about basically progression and advancement in games the mechanical side of it um the idea was that like this is something that we can discuss but like what are we really going to be talking about? And there are a decent amount of systems with different curves mm-hmm. and advancement ideas. But the truth of the matter is, is that it really is different. They're, they're more different than just I'm one system and I'm another system. Yeah. And be, just because of that, it opens a lot of doors and it actually turned it into two shows for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, we, we have a break in between um, just because of timing. Uh, but uh, this show, we're going to sp- kind of focus more from the player's angle uh, and what that advancement looks like and what it means. And our next show that we're going to be talking about is going to be talking more from the story side and how that is affected on that end and what it really means to grow in level. Right. right. Um, so expect this show to be kind of more mechanical player side view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah's going to try and keep me from talking about the other side because I really want to talk about <laughs> yep. that side of it. But that is a discussion for two weeks. So let's 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 define this like we like to do. All what right. is a power curve? We're going to be talking about power curves a lot tonight, so we got to define that right away. Okay, so power curve is a description of how quickly the characters grow in power via the advancement system. Okay, so in most games you're going to have experience or some other... Um, points or currency or even just flat up like advances you know where it's just like okay you have just advanced you haven't you didn't need to accumulate points to do it you just do you know um but one way or another at certain milestones your character is going to get um is going to get stronger um now a power curve is essentially how fast that change is going to happen via the advancement system okay um now, we describe power curves uh, curves in a couple different ways. We describe um, a power curve as either being steep, mm-hmm. um, wherein, like, advancement is going to happen very quickly. Characters are going to grow significantly in power in relatively short periods of time, okay? For example, a good example of a steep power curve actually is Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, one of our flagship systems out there in the market. Um, characters grow relatively quickly if the guidelines for advancement are followed via the Adventuring Day, okay? Mm-hmm. Now... Keep in mind that most most advancement is always going to be, um, you know, based on how stingy or or um, generous the storyteller is with. Yeah, whether they're giving experience, like classically, which is like as you kill things or as you gain loot, mm-hmm. you know, experience would come through instantaneously. So you like literally at the end of a fight, you could level in yeah. theory. Yeah. Um, and would vary player to player mm-hmm. in many ways. Then you have the milestone design, which is as yeah, events sure. change, you pop and suddenly come up to a different level. Or even versions mm-hmm. <laughs> of the game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it, a, a lot of times the advancement system is, um, you know, uh, via storyteller fiat, basically. Yes, yes. Um, but, like, the, even the difference between, like, a third level and a sixth level D&D character 
can really mean like either struggling with an encounter versus entirely trivializing it. Mm-hmm. You know, 100%. Certain new spells, new abilities. Um, you, I mean, you've essentially doubled in hit points from mm-hmm. one encounter to the next, you know, from, from, from third level to sixth level there. Um, so you've got a very steep power curve because it's so generous with the upgrades to your character. Every, they wanted every level to feel significant. Mm-hmm. And there is 20 levels. Yeah, which of is a lot of significance. You know. so. um, okay, now. Compare that to what we call a flat power curve. Right. Okay, and a flat power curve is exact opposite. Advancement happens relatively slowly, or the effects of the advancement have less impact on the overall power of the character. Okay, a great example of this one is Savage Worlds. Um, the impact of advancement is relatively little. Yes. Um, over the span of a long game, your characters will go from man with sword to man who's pretty good with a sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not, yeah, you're not going to see even even from, like, because um, it does kind of have, like, pseudo levels to it. There's um, what they call ranks. There's novice. For your first four advances keep you in novice, and then and there's your next only four certain... advances go into uh, seasoned. Right. Um, hero- uh, veteran, heroic, and then legendary. Every four advances. And it, you're, you're gated. Some of your power sets are gated through those as well. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's a, there's little little things like that to kind of, you know, keep the power curve even a little flatter to keep it yeah. just And realistically, your your end you're still not godlike. Yeah, no, you're not. Um because the, the the big thing about that is that um edges often don't compound on other edges. Mm-mm. Um and so your ability set gets wider rather than deeper. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're not going to be doing things like um you know, cleave becomes great cleave becomes whirlwind attack. It's going to be more like, okay, I can punch, but now I can also shoot, but now I can also stealth. Right. You know, sort yep. of stuff. Yep. Um, and the changes in your skill die isn't going to be, you know, like, isn't going to make a huge impact. It's not going to swing the numbers so drastically. You know, and, and I will say this, um, for alternative games that have high or very steep power curves that don't at first appear that way because they're 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 very different in the way that they handle their powers. Um, one of the key ones that come came to mind uh, while you were, while we were putting this together was uh, uh, vampire. Vampire has a very steep as it doesn't appear that way because there's no levels per se. Yeah, but you gain some ridiculous power abilities. See, I wanna I wanna bring I wanna bring vampire up because I I think you're right, but I also think you're wrong. I think vampire is a is a special case that we'll get. Uh, that, that, I'm, I'm going to bring that up later. Right, but it if you look at it straight for I'm advancing through the dots by which I place on sure. my sheet. Yes, it is a very high power curve. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. So you're absolutely right, uh, and that's that's kind of where I'm saying steep in that sense because as I'm doled mm-hmm. things out to me mm-hmm. to a degree, so with seven C. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's got a it's got a, a, a vertical progression to it, right? Um, um, and that's kind of where we're where we're going to next in our right. in our discussion. Whereas in, in the other one, I'll, on the flat side of things, if we want to stay within. The, just to give another example on the flat side, Mouse Guard is a relatively flat game. Yeah, uh, and especially because it isn't so much gated upon uh, um, upon your ranking advancement, mm-hmm. even though there are you know certain mouse. Ability, you know, it doesn't say like you can't do this unless you're a guard mouse kind of a thing, um, but your your placement within that, but more so the fact that you're gated by how you advance that really handles that differently. Mm-hmm. And I, 
each one of these has a different flavor within the story, but really it doesn't change the design of the curve, whether it's steep or flat. Right. There are right. other elements that definitely add into that. And that's where we kind of now step into what does this mean for progression? Right. And you, I see you want to start with vertical, which I think everybody is more aware of by far. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, vertical progression is what Dungeons & Dragons has. Yeah, it's what we predominantly in tabletop know as of today. Yeah, and, and also a lot of, like, uh, you know, even computer games have vertical progression to them. Almost all do. Um, so vertical progression is probably the, the advancement system that most gamers know of, even if they're not terribly familiar with D&D already. If they mm -hmm. came into it, if they've played a video game in the last 20 years, they know what vertical progression is, mm -hmm. you know? So vertical progression looks like this. It's, a, it, it's generally classified by a steep power curve, mm -hmm. okay? Increases in power um, are directly uh, from the last increase, okay? Mm -hmm. Your line always goes up. Something that was small is going to become larger with mm -hmm. every single step towards this advancement, okay? More HP, higher skill numbers, new abilities that are better than the last ones. You know, you might have the standard version of it, but now you either get to use it more, or mm -hmm. you get an improved version that does more damage, right. or, you know, affects more foes, or, or whatever. Or literally, the ability that you had automatically now does more. Yeah. Just, you, you don't even have to add anything to it, it just says it's based on your level. Yeah, I mean, even even your cantrips in D&D 5th Edition are like, you know, they, they do 1d8, but now they do 2d8. Welcome to level 5. Or instead of 2, you now have 3, or 4. Welcome to level 11. Welcome yeah. to level 17. Yep. Right. Um, and, uh, it's easy to see that a character that is higher on the curve is going to be quote unquote better or more powerful than a character that's lower on the curve. Yep. Okay. You can easily hold a six level character up to a third level character and tell me which one is numerically better, yes. which one is more powerful. Yep. Okay. Compare that to horizontal progression, which mm -hmm. is kind of classified by what our flat power curves look like. Mm -hmm. And I say flatter because I don't think any game system has a truly flat power curve. If you do, you've kind of got zero power curve. I would agree with that statement. Um, I think there's some arguments to be made there, but I think it has more to do with how that progression happens mm -hmm. and the cost of that progression. That there are some games that you could say are, are near flat. But I will say... That horizontal progression is a type of progression and does not necessarily correlate directly to a flat power curve. Correct. Okay. Because there are plenty of games, and this is kind of where I wanted to bring Vampire up, mm -hmm. that have horizontal progression yep. and a very steep power curve. 100% agree. Okay. So what, what, we, what we mean when we say a horizontal, horizontal progression is... Characters do not directly increase in power, like, from one step to the other, okay? But they're provided more options. Think of it as having more tools in your toolbox, okay? Mm -hmm. Your hammer doesn't get better at hammering nails, necessarily. Mm -mm. But now you also have a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. Yep. You are capable of dealing with more situations, mm -hmm. with specialized tools for those things. So you're quantifiably better off than yeah. you were when you just had a hammer. Mm-hmm. But you're still hammering in nails the exact same way you used to. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. Whereas, like, a vertical progression to that would be you've upgraded to a power hammer. You've yes. upgraded to a jackhammer, you know? Right, right. You are no longer using the base hammer skill. You just do jackhammer all the time. Yeah, now you have a sledgehammer with right. a rocket pack on it. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you used to be able to summon bats. Now you can summon... 
human variant, you know, undead they're vampires. Called vampires. They're called vampires, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a name for them, aren't there? Yeah. <laughs> There's those a name damn, for those it. darn runners. <laughs> Find them in a in a, in a cistern. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, so uh, again, uh, oftentimes um, systems aren't necessarily one or the other. You're gonna see a mix of both out there, and I think, like you said, uh, vampires are a great example mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. Um, because so uh, for those not familiar with Vampire the Masquerade, mm-hmm. um, it is essentially a point buy system. Yep. Okay. Your experience points come to you in essentially tokens. Yep. Um. You will get three. I think it's typically like three to five experience per game ses- session. The last suggested. time I checked, yeah. The last time I checked, yeah. Um, again, this is like old versions of it, so I, I haven't played any of the Chronicles of Darkness stuff. So this may have changed. May have shifted. Um, but it works just as well as a hypothetical example, one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're gonna get like three to five experience points. Yeah. Okay. Now those points can be cashed in directly for advances to your character. Mm-hmm. So you may have like two dots in stealth your dot represents each dot represents a d10 you will add to your die pool when rolling that mm-hmm. uh that skill you want to add a third dot to stealth it might be like two experience times the current. cost of the current level so yes in this case if you've got two dots two times your current level so it would cost four experience points to buy your third dot yep um so you just purchase it yeah 7c does the exact same thing yeah 7c does the exact same thing yes and and so you're not being told what you have to get Mm -hmm. you're not being gifted anything at that level literally if you don't spend points you don't progress yeah you don't progress but also there's no direct linear progression Mm -hmm. to it from the standpoint of nothing there's no levels your traits aren't just going up your stats don't just automatically increase exactly exactly um and and there's no like level one to level two to level three or anything like that you just purchase whatever you want so this is kind of where you have both vertical and horizontal progression Mm -hmm. if you keep pouring all of your points into the same ability you have vertical progression Mm -hmm. because each point makes that one thing better than the last Mm -hmm. that's vertical yep However, if you choose to diversify your skills by a bunch of low-level stuff and spread yourself out to widen your toolbox, mm-hmm. and that's horizontal. And honestly, I think there were you could argue in certain places where classes in D and D between levels basically create horizontal progression. Where it's like, I'm not really getting more powerful so much as I have now more abilities that open up different tools. And I'm thinking more along the lines like school of lore bard or expertise and things like that, that kind of sit in between that fill out the, and I'm going to say it blank levels. Yeah. Yeah. But that still doesn't stop certain skill sets within those that say, are you know, increase by level, you know, it, right. you, it's so much per level. Your proficiency bonus is going up. Your hit point total. Right. Is going so there's up, still right? an advancement within that. And that's why those are classified. So remember that what we're talking about is the overall advancement exactly. here, not not within it. But again, very steep for what you can do within uh, White Wolf, particularly. And I would say even to the same argument, 7C, you yeah. become a god at doing things. Yeah. Way better than you that anybody in their right right mind should mm-hmm. at that curve. So, I uh, I guess I guess the, the the big the big question here is what does any of this have to do with being a storyteller? 
you know. I mean, that's fair. We, we just talked a lot about a bunch of different definitions, you know, and, and, and what horizontal looks like, what vertical looks like, uh, you know, what you can have both in the same system. I'm going to answer one question that just came up in the chat. Yeah, uh, sure. Knox asked blank levels. So the term blank levels is actually oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, a, is, is was kind of coined in the concept that at this progression point, you don't get a new ability. But your stats will increase or existing power sets uh, that are based upon your level mm-hmm. denote that you have a new level. Yeah. Um, and that's where that the, the term comes from. It's actually used a lot more in digital games now uh, where you just get a level up, but you don't get anything for it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no appreciable thing, but you know you're now doing more damage because, like, your strength automatically went up or whatever based upon your class affects you in that way. Um yeah, so it's 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 a they just call it a blank level because you don't get anything new, but yeah, really you're still getting new things. It's, it's it's a level you don't get a you don't get a present with a bow on. Exactly, it. there you go. You don't time, get a, yeah. you don't get a present. That's a great you way. You didn't get it. your your sneak attack didn't go up. You don't get an extra feat. You don't get an ability increase. It's just oh, congrats, you get to roll hit points. Yeah, and so it doesn't feel like anything. But then when you look at your character sheet, you're like, oh, well, this is based upon my level, and yeah. this is based upon my level and right. okay th- that makes more sense so um so that's where blank levels come through so back to storytelling yeah what does um, this what does this have to do with anything why are we talking about well this today? let's start with the very basics players like to advance yeah they they like to feel like they're getting more powerful let's just straight up say it that a lot of games the power fantasy is there everybody does and you know and and, and i i want to like i want to take a moment to kind of address the stigma of that too because i think we don't even as i was writing that on the on the notes you know for yeah, today's show, you're like ew yeah i was kind of like yeah you know like it almost felt a little bad to say like you know people enjoy power fantasy because i think it has a kind of a negative connotation of like you know oh you're just you just like the power fantasy of it you know but no yeah. i mean no i do objectively i do we all like the power fantasy it's one of the reasons we play these fantastical games where we pretend to be elves and wizards and you know uh, dwarves that that call upon the mighty smith god to smite their foes with flame strikes and stuff like yeah you know we all enjoy that stuff and it's not because we want to feel weak or ordinary mm-hmm it's a power fantasy. And that's fine. And it's absolutely fine. It's part of the escapism. It's part of the joy of, yeah. of playing that. So I, I want to say, when I say the words power fantasy, that is not derogatory at all. That Anybody an who's picked fact. up an air guitar and ripped a riff listening to some rock, that's a power fantasy as well. Man, I have a whole show about how we love narrative gaming mm-hmm. you know, here and how to be a good storyteller and best practices at tabletop games. But man, did it feel good to rip almost a max damage cone of cold into that asshole the other game. And then describe it to you in grisly detail what you found. And then give him a, <laughs> give a speech to his frozen, impaled corpse. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then tell the guards that were sitting there watching that were like horrified by the thing that I just did to them, like... Yeah, don't F with me. Yeah. I'm the unforgiving winter. Mm-hmm. And then leaving? Yeah, they had names for you. That, <laughs> yeah. That was my power fantasy. And it was wonderful. And it was beautiful. Yep. yep. You know? Um, but uh, that's one of the big reasons why advancement is so important mm-hmm. to us in these Without games. Without a doubt. Because we all we all enjoy the power fantasy. And if you're not getting stronger, mm-hmm. the the game kind of stagnates a little bit, you know? Well, and it, the other thing is, is it, and I'm going to say this. When you're imagining everything that's going on at the table, when your mind is literally having to be creative about everything, there is something comforting to be able to look down at a page and see progression. Oh, yeah. To see physical progression. 
it kind of goes back to uh, literally board gaming. Watching your piece move has a good feeling to it. It means you're making progress. But when you're imagining literally everything, mm-hmm. it's really hard to feel like there's progress. Sure. And having that advancement gives you something. Mm-hmm. It feels like a game, and that's what you, and people like that. Like, we don't want to sit at our jobs and have losses. We don't want to be sitting in traffic feeling losses. You know, yes, everyone says it's really the friends that you met along the way, but the truth of the matter is, is we like to see advancement. We Mm -hmm. like to see that we did something, the plaques on our walls, the, you know, to say, I made it through college. Whoo, you know, why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't think there's a single one among us that sits down and, you know, during character creation and doesn't, like, look at, like, okay, well, I have to I have to make this as my starting level character, but eventually I'd like to grow into this. Mm-hmm. You know, somewhere down the line I'm going to be able to throw a cone of cold, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not today. Mm-hmm. But, man, that spell's going to be, you know, so useful to me eventually, and I'm going to be happy about it, you know? Yeah, and that's... That's the inspiration and drive that we have going sure. forward. I mean, to start out as a at a at a godlike feeling and never progress feels stale. Like it doesn't give you it. If it's just a one shot, sure. That's mm-hmm. great. You're focused on the story, you're not focused on the character advancement. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I would dare say that Mouse Guard often would feel very stale if it wasn't for the heavy narrative that is in it. Yeah. I agree. And, and that it's so focused. I agree. Um into that counterpoint, I'll flat out say this, Shadowrun does that for me. I don't feel like Shadowrun, to me, has advancement. Okay. It just has gear, kind of. And I use gear in a very loose term. I'll take your word for it. I don't know Shadowrun well enough. Yeah, to... I mean, whether or not like I'm getting more cyberware. Mm-hmm. Like, the chances of me upgrading my cyberware happens when I'm like super-powered with money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm neck deep in everything. Until then, it's been a slog. And the game has advancement. Don't get me wrong. But realistically, the game is more about story, mm-hmm. even though it has as much technicality and mechanics involved in it. Sure, sure. And a lot of people complain that the game can feel quite not progressive, like that you're really not getting anywhere if the game doesn't have a good story wrapped around it. And I, yeah. I see that. I definitely understand that. Yeah. Um. So... Unless there are other mechanics in the game, like Blades in the Dark, where literally the crew advances. The Mm -hmm. story shows physical growth and progression within its own mechanics, not even story-wise. Like, it's forcing to show you, like, hey, you guys gained ground kind of a thing. Those types of things, um, the One Ring does that, where, like, you're literally traveling and completing things. Yeah. It's board game-like. No, it's hex crawl like, you know. Yeah, that's what I say. Very yeah, old school, yeah. Yeah, it's very old school. So in that sense, you're you're feeling like you're having progression versus physically seeing on my sheet that I have grown yeah, as absolutely. an individual. And like for for me, like I, I think back to like even the most popular like books and T V series, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, I mean immediately my mind goes to Harry Dresden. Uh in the, the okay. Dresden files by Jim Butcher. Uh, you know, does your main character grow or do they remain the same? From book Mm. to book. Um, Does the villain grow? Or does the villain remain the same? You know? And and by how much growth, yeah. And by how much growth. Like, are the stakes higher each book or each season? Do the higher stakes force the main character to grow to match them? 
you look at Harry Dresden in book one, Stormfront, and you mm-hmm. look at Harry Dresden as of the last of the, the last book, I think it was like book 18 or mm-hmm. 20, I forgot where we're at now. But, uh, I mean, he's nearly godlike in power. I mm-hmm. mean, he's, he's fighting essentially a demigod in the last, in the last book, you know, whereas yeah. he had trouble with a rogue sorcerer in the first book. Yeah. I you mean, know. you've got Wheel of Time that does that with, you know, kids to heroes kind of a situation almost. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely the, the, the Tavir and the main, the main three yeah. characters, uh, by, yeah, they start off as farmers essentially and yeah. sheep herders and, by the end of it, one of them is the Dragon Reborn, who is the savior of all mankind and is literally fighting the Dark One. Yeah, coming into the truth of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, stories like that definitely present themselves. I mean, Lord of the Rings, without a doubt, you see the same type of thing. Even grizzled old veterans sure. showing change. Yeah, absolutely. And and it and advancement to a degree. Frodo's and... not the same Hobbit that left the Shire. No. In fact, that's kind of a major part, point, point in the ending is that yeah. they, they can't go home because yeah, who are they now, you know? Yeah, and and Aragorn to the same degree. Yeah. Instead of becoming a better fighter, he became a better leader. Yeah. How which he never was because he started out as a lone wolf, you know? <laughs> <laughs> For those in our Discord who saw the links, <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so... Now that we know advancement is important, regardless of how we're looking at it, it's equally important to understand how it's going to affect your game. Right. I was I was trying to think of a good way to say it differently, but that's effectively the truth. Yeah. Because um... it's going to change your game, and it automatically does. When we when we start as storytellers, our mind is always about in the next game of oh, how am I going to make it a challenge? Yeah. Because you have to look at the gauge that's set in front of you, which is your players. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, you know, especially with D&D, CR. And we all know, anybody who's, and I take this back, not everyone knows this, anyone who's run D&D for more than five sessions knows that CR is a load of crap. CR is challenge rating, by the way, sorry. Yeah, and it's a load of crap. It kind of is, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to judge. Right. There are some decent tools out there that will help you. You know, Cobalt Fight Club is a, a wonderful thing. You know, and it does give you some stuff. D&D has their own encounter thing. But the truth of the matter is, is we know that all that is doing is trying to factor threat versus defense versus threat. And all of that is is just hard to calculate because there's so much random involved. And you can never calculate that your players know what to do with all of their abilities. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it can get really really hard to figure out how to pace that advancement yeah not from your side of the table not only even pacing the advancement but pacing a story alongside that advancement yeah Uh, you loved one of the greatest examples you've ever given which is a digital example and i think it's a fantastic one Mm -hmm. is the skyrim like bandits yeah like at the beginning, at the beginning of the game, like you face bandits. They're a bunch of ragtag people in mm-hmm. leather scraps for yeah. armor with crappy iron weapons and stuff like that, because they're bandits living in a cave. They're essentially, you know, mm-hmm. uh, refugees from the law. You know, but like if you just go around hunting wolves and level yourself up so that you can do better against the bandits, and then go back to their camp to go kick their butt. They're just at the same level as you are. Now they have like they're, they're magical all bandit bows. kings with b- magical bows and There's dangerous armor and, and yeah. shit. And you're like, what happened? Like, why aren't they going and killing the Jarl? Like, right. 
Oh, it's and and, and why? Why are they? Well, because because it's a contrived game mechanic. Because right. you, they have to be a challenge for you. But that, get, so the game levels them up. But it doesn't feel like a story at that point. Exactly, and that's it the feels like a video game. And that's what we don't want when we sit down at a tabletop session. It breaks your verisimilitude. We don't want your first level characters who've been helping small villages around the kingdom, around mm-hmm. the castle, fighting goblins, to suddenly now either a there's more goblins now that they've been fighting and killing all of the goblins and clearing them out. Like, now they're fighting the goblin king and his 30 goblin army because they're level 5. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the appropriate threat rating. Why is it the go- Why didn't the goblin king just march on the castle? Yeah. Like, what, what was he doing with these farms? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, matching, your, matching your pacing with your, with your advancement is... Absolutely critical to keeping your story alive and keeping your verisimilitude intact, i.e. the illusion of realism. Okay, verisimilitude, for those of you who do not know the word, um, we use it semi-frequently on the, on the show, yeah. but we'll, we'll define it once again because it is a big word, um, is we, we, don't, we use that in place of the word realism because mm-hmm. realism describes real life. Yes. Verisimilitude means real within context. So whether you're in a fantasy world that depicts something that is slightly medieval, mm-hmm. the verisimilitude would basically say that there's lords and a king and you're expected to have gentry and things like that to sure. make it feel like it would work versus having ridiculous things out of balance. Mm-hmm. And, and like even verisimilitude even strays into your fantasy elements. Okay. So, very like much if, so if you say there are airships, but they all move very slowly because they're, because they're super heavy and the magic it takes to keep them afloat are, is, 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 is weak. If you had one zipping through the sky at a hundred miles an hour, that would break verisimilitude because you've established that slow moving airships is what's real. Mm-hmm. Fast moving airships are unrealistic. Yeah compared to that so that's that's what we're talking about when we're seeing verisimilitude okay like people complaining about space whales in the mandalorian because there is nothing in space in yes. star in the star wars universe that we all know about yeah yeah fanboys yeah. get over yourself <laughs> <laughs> i i don't even engage don't yeah even it's engage. it's fine it's fine but needless to say this is where sarah has in bold print that i have to stop talking <laughs> <laughs> about about ways to deal with this because we're going to get to this in a in a couple episodes. All right. So, anyways, um, it, <laughs> if your characters advance too quickly or steeply, they may outgrow the story yeah. before you get to the point of it. Okay. Yes. Um, and so, like, your antagonist is going to become way too easy to handle if they present a problem that can be addressed through direct application of the character's abilities, mm-hmm. i.e. <laughs> If a, a monster only continues to be a threat as long as it's unkillable, mm-hmm. okay? Because I guarantee you, your players will will choose the most direct and most permanent solution to any problem you pose them to. And death is pretty direct and pretty permanent. It is. It is. So if PCs find themselves capable of facing it and slaying it, they can remove it. Mm-hmm. And so if your story depends on the longevity of this monster... And you want it to have ripple effects down, you know, oh, you didn't kill this monster for X amount of time, and now it's doing, you know, X, Y, and Z problem. Well, if they kill it in Act 2, or, you know, in Game Session 2, it doesn't get the longevity to cause those problems. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly the rest of the story you had kind of scribbled down in your notes changes. Yep. 
And I mean, this is okay in some aspects. If you're, you know, playing a, a game, you know, play to find out sort of game like mm-hmm. Powered by the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Hey, okay, stuff happens. We roll with it. But sometimes we've put some work into this story. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. changes like that leave us a little high and dry for ideas. So, you know, it's something to keep an eye on when, when doling out advancement. Um, now, I will say, this is, like you said, mm-hmm. the point at which I have a bold note you on do. the thing to stop discussing this. Because yes. what happens when your heroes out-level the threat in your in your show, or in, in your, uh, uh, your your story... Is literally the topic of show 204. So 204 or 202? 204. Today is 202. Oh, 204 then. Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> so we were going to be going much deeper into how to handle this later. Yes. Stay tuned. Pin, pin right there. We're Put leaving pin that right there. there. Now, the other, the other alternative is we advance too slowly and your story outpaces them. Yes. I would say this is probably less of a problem because you can literally just give out more advances. Yeah. It's difficult to take away levels because then you've got to kind of you've, the, the cat's already kind of out of the bag. You've got to kind yeah. of like some people uh, c- hamper this to the fact that you can give out equipment that is the effect of a level. Yeah. yeah. And that can be used up, broken, changed, require maintenance, things that will will alter the curve, if mm-hmm. you will, because mm-hmm. it can't be used you know, the fighter isn't going to grab all of the powerful artifacts that can only be used by other classes, stack it on himself and become a god, and you have one god character and the rest will just sit back and, and do their nails, you know? Oh, the armor of invulnerability. Yes. <laughs> yes. That That's it. <laughs> but the whole idea is then... Extra points if you got the reference. Yeah. The, the point of that is is that it basically forces them to constantly run from the overthrots mm-hmm. and look forward to its destruction, which may never come. Yeah, because yeah. they just can't get to that point. And you got to keep in mind too, like, um, you know, if if you if your characters end up underpowered for a threat that you present to them, we talked a lot about how players enjoy power fantasy. Um, and yeah. if you give them a threat that they legitimately cannot handle, you essentially blunt that power fantasy. Mm-hmm. You make them incapable of dealing with the thing that you just gave them. They feel helpless. They feel confused. They feel out of options. They feel useless. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's that's not a great place for your for your characters to be in. The second one, and you hear this pretty frequently if you look for stories, especially about like Dungeons and Dragons characters and whatnot, is um, sometimes we do this on purpose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we throw out something that the players aren't supposed to be able to deal with. Like, hey, I know you're level three, but here's a white dragon. Yeah. And sometimes the players don't figure out that in the back of your head you're going, oh, they'll run from this. The opening of Dark Souls, or not Dark Souls, of Elden Ring. Is it, is it Dark Souls or Elden Ring? Where, where basically they kill you. Oh, yeah, yeah, right yeah. Off the, yeah. Like literally yeah. first fight. Elden Ring, you know, well, welcome to Elden Ring. Uh, here is a grafted scion that will two-shot you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is how life is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, but the game literally is meant to kill you at that point to remind you that this is the curve versus you handing a a white dragon to your players and basically say, without saying, run. Yeah. And they, now they're like, oh, we, we have to fight this thing. Yeah, because they don't, they don't, they, you know, they, they may not conceive that they're not supposed to fight it. They may, you know, but, you know, because they're, they're probably thinking like, okay, well, you're not going to throw anything at us that we can't deal with, right? Like, you know. 
we're we're adventurers. We're supposed to be capable. We've got to be able to kill this dragon. But it, I'll argue to say that is a meta discussion that should have hit the table immediately when it happened. Sure. Like, but sometimes it doesn't. Oftentimes it doesn't. Oftentimes it because communication is not always great at the beginning. Exactly, and and without some of that communication, it can get really frustrating for the PCs, oh, especially very much when that so. when that dragon rightly starts wiping the walls with the third level characters, and then the PCs think, "Oh, you're just trying to kill us. You're just being mm-hmm. an adversarial DM. You know, yep. you're trying to TPK us." Yep, yep. N- no, guys, I wanted you to run from it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and that's and that's where the story starts is you guys running from a dragon. You know, but. Maybe better ways of doing that than handing them a threat that they can't handle and then expecting them not to ha- not to try to handle it. Yeah. I mean, so. So, sometimes the best things you can do is have that threat visibly slightly away from them doing horrible things to things that they know are powerful mm-hmm. only to bring it within their threat radius and make a decision that yeah. forces their hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, there's nothing wrong with telegraphing hits. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, one of the best ones that I read about was a guy who uh, was going to do that. He wanted to open the game with a dragon destroying the city that the players were in. Not the capital city, but the city that the players were starting in. Because he had them go do a, a session zero in a, in a milk run. And mm-hmm. then they came back and they were all drinking there. And then the threat happened. And he said, I'm really worried my players are going to try and fight this thing in this town. And he said, and almost everybody was like, well, first off, just have the town get wrecked around them. Mm-hmm. Like, don't ever give them the threat. Yeah. Like, they're never going to get the threat in front of them. What they're going to have is obstacles that are well beyond their level. Here is a building on fire in front of you. You're going to have to go this way or that way. And everything just basically forces them in in directions. Now, they can... They can move around things, they can make their own decisions, they can get better looks at it, they can do whatever they want, but anything that's actively engaging with it is telling them to get away Mm -hmm. and and forcing them back. The guard are trying to keep people safe, you know, to the point where they recognize that it was their job to basically help refugees. Do they? Do they not? Do they just run scared? That's your story. And the guy was like, I never thought that that was my story. I thought my story was going to be a revenge story. And he said, so I threw it in front of my players, and they basically tried to rally with the guards. And I had the guards be like, no, get the hell out of town. Mm -hmm. Like, this is dangerous. You need to get people to safety. And they're like, okay, we'll get people to safety. And they started rallying people and taking them and getting them hidden off in the caves that they just cleared out. And I was like, yep, there you go. Now they're big damn heroes. And he was just like, so I literally at the end of the session, like everybody was in the cave. The cave was getting, you know, knocked over and they had to help get everyone out of the cave the next day mm-hmm. because it was covered in. And then they came back to a ruined village. Yeah. With no guards. Yeah. Just just ash and dust. Mm-hmm. And they're like, the first thing, you know, that they said was, we have to get word to the capital. I'm like, and, you're, and your game begins. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that was, I, he's like, that turned out way better than anyone could have expected. As a, and that's the thing, is you have to think about your encounters differently mm-hmm. to handle those. That's what you get when you start Legend of Vox Machina on Season 2. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so our, our topics, I mean, we usually go uh, well into uh, you know, well into the hour here, but uh, I wanted to kind of cut the discussion short a little bit because we had a bunch of really good questions. questions. Yes. Uh, this week. We're so... still going to go well into the hour. Don't get us wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's going to be because of the really excellent questions that we got, not because uh, we are prattling on about our topic. So... Do we want to bounce around in these, or do you just want to pound right through them? Grab um, one. I don't care. Okay. I'm going to go down to Nifty Hat. 
All right. Uh, so we'll start with this one. Are there multi-session or longer form systems that don't have to use vertical progression as a crutch to the game not having engaging enough core mechanics? Tell us what you really think, Nifty. Yeah. <laughs> At the design level, is it mandatory to include some sort of a number go-up system for games that are being played for more than one to two sessions to have wide appeal? That is an interesting... I like the question. I don't... So, think so i think like we've, we've seen a couple like especially they're more narrative games that that have lasers and feelings uh yeah i mean i don't know that lasers, lasers and feelings is designed for more than one or two game sessions so i think that nifty has talking more about you know a, a longer like at least four session campaign you know mm-hmm. that, that, that goes on a little bit like that where you would be expected to have some advancement mechanics um i don't remember more borgs Morborg, I think it just gives you some minor, yeah, minor upgrades. But like OSR is really good about being really super stingy with upgrades, mm-hmm. but they still do kind of have some vertical progression. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say Arc Dooms was really horizontal if it even existed. Um, yeah, because everything was exceptionally dangerous. Yeah, it was yeah. already a dangerous system to start with. What system did we review recently that had no progression in it? That's a good question. There was there was a there was a game system recently that had zero progression in it. I I would say though, Nifty Hat, probably the answer you're looking for is there there's I think every game system is going to have some sort of vertical progression. Even if it is an extremely flat curve, it's still going to be a curve. Um, Are you saying f- progression or vertical progression? Uh, the, the question was specifically systems that don't have or use vertical progression. Yeah, I would say that... You know what? Um, go ahead and answer. I, I kind of have my own that I'm, I'm formulating. I, I feel I feel like veritably every system is going to have at least a little bit of vertical progression to it. Um, I think that's just the nature of the beast. And I don't think you truly feel like you're advancing with an advancement system unless you can look back on your character a couple of advances ago and say, I am in some way measurably better than I was. But also, I don't think that that's a crutch for game systems having not not engaging enough core mechanics, as you say. Um, I don't think vertical progression is bad, I just think vertical progression can get out of hand and be difficult to keep up with in a story. Um, it's, some curves are steeper than others, but vertical progression as a concept is not a bad thing. No, it is not a bad thing. Um, I am going to say that in most of the systems that I'm running through my head right now that don't really use vertical progression, where it isn't an obvious thing... Um, that it that you don't need it if the story if the core story mechanics are there for you and what i'm saying is something like dune mm-hmm. doesn't have a hard vertical progression but the game's progression horizontally is effectively your vertical progression 
It's 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 a story progression. Not As in a... your your rewards are in I overpowered my enemy and took some of their holdings, right. etc. It yeah. is it is much much akin to the uh takeovers of the crew in Blades in the Dark. Yep. Or or progression, tile progression, uh hex progression. Yep. Um yep. those types of things where you definitely feel like you are gaining ground. Mm-hmm within the story. And I think games that, uh, I, I, and I, I, I think the mechanics are there for those. I think they are, but I, I dare say that there are much, that there are other systems that talk about using that same type of, I have leveraged myself into a new position where I can continue. Uh, and I feel like I am progressing. I think progression must be part of the system if that isn't there. And I dare say systems that have vertical pro- progression often lack mechanical progression in other ways of the story. They lean too hard into vertical progression as a means to show that the game is good. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll back you up on that one. Yeah. The... I mean, we, we've seen it in way too many game systems. So I, I, right. I think in the turn, which is where my head, headspace was, is like you can get away with not having a lot of, a lot of story mechanics if your vertical progression is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if there's flashy enough stuff at the top of the Christmas tree, then it's a... Uh... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pretty much. If, if if you walk down for Christmas and there are tons of gifts, are you upset at your parents? No, no. <laughs> Depends. Yeah. Depends. All right, you, your turn. All right, so uh, Nevim, Nevim asked a bunch of them, so I'm going to dip into some of these No, here. go for it. Um, all right, so besides horizontal and vertical progression systems, what other types are there? Um, uh... To me, I'm going to say this. Nine. We broke it down in vertical and horizontal progression. We're not talking about the curves, which there are many of. Yeah. And in tabletop role playing, vertical and horizontal are the pra- are the pragmatic, not pragmatic, examples. They are the predominant examples yes. that you will find. Yes. Um. Not to say that that there aren't variants within both of those that you could have different terminology for. Sure, sure. But I would say if you, as you get into digital RPGs and things like that, um there are tons of other design styles that mimic and or uh that that could be misconstrued as not vertical or not horizontal, but mm-hmm. a mixture of maybe the two at different times. Yeah, sure. We've been playing Monster Hunter lately. Mm-hmm. Um and uh that's got a vertical and horizontal progression system in it in the weapon upgrades because your your yeah. character doesn't become more powerful, but the but the gear that you make uh, makes them more powerful in various situations. Yeah. And then you'll you'll craft stronger versions of the same weapon. Mm-hmm. So this one this poison weapon becomes a stronger poison weapon that's vertical progression. But also I've also made a thunder type weapon and a stun type weapon that's horizontal progression. There's more tools in my toolbox. Right. And in that sense it, you you're not really levels have no reference or relevance yeah. except for what you're going up against. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's there there's a whole design scheme about balance between those two vectors Mm -hmm. so what the player has versus what the what the uh, non-player elements are and the boss elements are and actually that i think actually monster hunter is a great example too because Mm -hmm. because when you look at it you're like oh that's gear progression not not character progression but when your gear is the only way of making your character more powerful Mm -hmm. is there a difference effectively between the two of them no no there isn't yeah now that you have the gear, you are capable of advancing in the story. So, bam, you know, mm-hmm. that's your progression system, like yep. it or not, you yep. know? Yep. 
Um, all right. Uh, Nevim also asks, often the progression is based on some XP currency. Even with the guideline given by the game, it's some, sometimes hard to know if the amount given at the end of the scenario is the proper amount. Should I adapt the amount based on the frequency length of the game session? Yes. I'm going to say yes, but the, the but the terms you're using as in frequency or length are not nearly as important. I agree. I think it has more to do with are your players enjoying it? Mm-hmm. Are you as a storyteller able to keep up with the advancement within that system, within your story? Yeah. Meaning, if your story is about kids on bikes and being afraid of the dark, giving them a bunch of progression after a year may not mean anything. Right, right. It, it, it may mean that they are no longer kids on bikes. They are now... Teenagers on bikes. Teenagers in cars. Mm-hmm. Which you don't want because now they're just not going to do your story the same way. Yeah, they're just going to sit around all day. They're not going to listen to you. They're playing video games. They're on TikTok. You know? Yeah. So the whole point of it is is that I would say it is less <laughs> about the frequency and length of your sessions. And if that's the case, then you're playing a sandbox game with your friends. And sure, that may work very well to try and figure out whether or not your players feel like they're moving through the sandbox. Yeah. Uh, my my answer here is base it around your pacing. Mm-hmm. Your pacing is what you want to do. Um, try to eyeball where how long your story is taking to tell, and what is the next major milestone like in the story. And I know? will I will put the word milestone and threat in the same category depending on the type of game. Yeah. So like for me, um, uh, we're in Act Two of my game right now, and I've got I've got a a climactic ending of this of this 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 act is is boiling mm-hmm. essentially right now it's it's at a low simmer and we're we're leading up to a sort of climactic end by the end of this i want you guys to tip over from seasoned to heroic mm-hmm. i think i know about how many game sessions that's going to take given how fast our group moves and stuff mm-hmm. like that so i know i need to drop two more advances in there one in the middle of where we are now and the end and one at the end. Mm-hmm. And that's my advancement. Yep. That's how I'm doing it. Um, this is also a big reason why I like things like milestone uh, milestone advancements for um, D- D&D. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have to depend on calculating a number mm-hmm. and trying to eyeball how fast that number is going to total up to your next level. Mm-hmm. You literally just get to say, you level at this point. Yeah. And, and another example of that I will give, which is a little different, because in your game... We don't see the finish line. Mm-hmm. We're still being presented with it, and that happens in a lot of games. You don't you don't put your bad guy right out front. You don't put the immediate threat to them. In some systems, you do. In mm-hmm. some in some games, you immediately start with a dragon moved in. That is not something that is in this world, and the dragon needs to be taken care of. Okay, you know the threat level that has been established. You established it at the beginning. Yep. So your players know that at the end of the game, when everything is said and done, they will have to take care of a dragon. So their progression in their mind is to be able to take care of a dragon. If you know that you, where what the rating on that dragon is, and your goal is to make sure that you can make that fight fair for them, quote unquote, balanced and fair, there is nothing to say that you that you basically just uh, set your thing to say at the end of the game you will all be level five. Okay, so that's where we're pro- going to progress to, and I'm going to put my milestones between here and there. Oh, we're out of tea. I'm sorry. And, and the <laughs> hot pot's way over there. I, I'll grab it in a second for the next question. Okay. okay, okay. Um, but the whole thing then is you can then set the pacing. 
do the same thing behind the screen, quote-unquote. If you know where your story is going to go, and you know at the end you're going to have a bunch of ninjas and a ninja master, and he's basically, a, in your mindset, a eighth-level barbarian monk, you know, eight-level monk, you know, two levels of barbarian. Okay, there's your level. Mm-hmm. There's your cap. You now know. Yep. Use that as a gauge to set your pacing. Yep. And you think it's going to take them eight sessions to get there. They need to gain two levels. Well, guess what? Every four game sessions, they gain a level. There you go. You know, there you go. Boom. Yep. And you know if it. you need to slow it down, slow it down. Yeah, exactly. All right. I'm going to throw the question and see where we go for this next one. So uh, another of Nevins, which I think is fantastic that mm-hmm. we're getting all these. In some games, the XP received can be spread during the game session to receive some Spent. kind or spent, I'm sorry, I didn't spend during spent during the game session to receive some kind of advantage. What are your feelings on such systems? Uh, I like those, but the system, and in those cases, is and what we're talking about is like, hey, in Mouse Guard, I can spend my checks during the game while the game is actively playing during my term to do something versus make an advancement uh, to my yeah, character. I think uh, Numenara has a system like mm-hmm. that, and I'm pretty sure, is it Karma or Edge or something like that you use in Shadowrun? Yep, and then uh, 7C Drama Dice are the same thing. Yeah. You can yep. spend those as well. And the the point behind those is is that you're, you're burning your currency to make story happen in all those cases in mm-hmm. some amazing way. And in my personal opinion, I love that. I love that that you're doing, but you have to make those moments have weight. I I'm of two minds on them. I gotta right. be honest. I I am of two minds on them because on on one hand I do like, you know, uh, having to make that choice of like you know is is your uh, is is it worth it to you to burn you know that that that, that currency to directly impact the story and some of that and yeah like I said you you do want to make it impactful when that happens. Um. But I, I think uh, I there's there's a part of me that dis that dislikes the um the concept of um I suppose I don't want to say penalizing. It's not really penalizing, but you come out of it with less experience to spend on advancing your character, right? You're slowing your own progression to affect the story directly. And I feel like your meta currency for affecting the story should be kept seek, uh, separate from your advancement uh, mechanic, simply because I, I I feel like if you are doing that, you're adding to the story, not subtracting from it. So it shouldn't cost you your advancement. You follow? I I was going to say the alternative to that is you have the players who don't use it because they want to advance. Yeah, and don't affect the story ever. It dis- disincentivizes it, which you know? is what happens in a lot of which happened in a lot of seventh C games where the play, where you'd have players who just weren't choosing to be. They want to be engaged in the story, but they don't want to spend their drama dice to do so. Yeah, because at the end of the game, I get to turn in my drama die for an experience point, and each. I really, really want that extra swordsman dot. I really you know? want to buy that extra porte power. You know, right, right. And so you're you're constantly playing with that. Do I spend it? Don't I spend it? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm glad in Savage World, Benny's is not converted to XP. Benny's don't convert to XP. They just and, die. Um, I know a lot of people like uh, try to use that special rule called uh, difficult choices, I think it is, where every time you guys spend a Benny, it goes into my pocket. Yeah, that's that's a... I, I, I like that mechanic, but I hate it at the I same time. I hate it because... I don't ever want you guys looking at your bennies and thinking I shouldn't spend this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never. Well, never. I they're there to be spent. I want a high benny economy. Right, and I think that I, I think that gritty consequences mm-hmm. breed that. 
You see that in a lot of other games where it's like, hey, do you want to make a bargain? It's going to cost you. Yeah, sure. But this will come through. It's a guaranteed win. Sure, sure. And it's like, ooh. But that's, not, but that's not the type of story we're, we're telling, though. You right, know? exactly. So, exactly. So that, yep. so that doesn't fit. Yep, yep. Um, so anyways, that's, that's how I feel about it. I don't, I don't, I don't like burning your, your advancement to, to add to the story like that. Um, but I, I get it. Yeah, yep. Um, often XP's given... Uh, is this right? Yeah. Often yep. XP given in the rules are toward one character. Meaning at the end of the game session, following the rule... There will be a slight difference between characters. How to avoid jealousy between players. Oh, how do you avoid jealousy between players? Should I give the same progression to the group? I remember this. I remember in early D&D this was a thing. That uh, if you, you know, certain players who were, who were effectively greedy or or game systems where you use the term kill stealing, where basically you, you, you were out leveling other players at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I will flat out say I hated this mechanic because it felt like the story wasn't important unless you were engaged. You had to be engaged. Yeah, yeah. And it was easy to just be slightly outside of that curve, the bell curve, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, you had the players who were very engaged, and you had the players who weren't engaged, and the difference between those was like the 80th percentile. Because if you stayed engaged, but you didn't give enough, you didn't make it high enough to get enough XP to to be effective, basically. Right, right. And aside from the fact that that doesn't account for a lot of other realities of people just being people. Yeah. Um. Oh, you missed a game session. Yeah, well, my, you know, kid was sick in the hospital, so yeah, I missed a game session. Oh, yeah, well, everybody's level 5 now and you're only level 4, you know. Yeah. Okay, because my kid was sick? Cool. Yeah, like uh, my character was there yeah no, no they weren't they were they were in the phantom realm you know whatever or, or, or whatever you know you, things like that um uh, engagement levels okay some of us have social anxiety some of us are not good at just grabbing the limelight and shining it on ourselves whenever we want some of us had a crappy week yeah some and of now us we're we're sitting there low the energy. yeah i'm at least i at least made it to the session i'm i'm being involved but i'm not as involved mm-hmm. so I'm not getting those drama dice because I'm not being dramatic. Um, then there's, uh, you know, the storyteller designed an encounter that was trivial for the wizard, but was utterly frustrating and debilitating for the fighter. Yep. Well, the wizard contributed more today, so they get more experience. Well, why? Like, you made, you made, e- like, you know, okay, so it was a zombie encounter. The cleric turned them all. What was the fighter supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Well, the cleric did all the work. Of course they did. They snapped their fingers and won the encounter. Well, another thing is you also have the other side of that, which, I and, I, and I'll ask you this. How do you feel about the mouse guard voting system? Uh, there's a part of me that loves it and a large part of it that gives me social anxiety every single time because I am expected to... Uh, allow a room full of people to point at me and tell me I did good, which is a thing that makes me uncomfortable. That is fair. But at the same time, not every mouse guard table is as close of friends as we are. And people vie for doing their checks and things like that. So the game itself is a very narrative game, and I would say it has to be very tight-knit. Otherwise, it doesn't play the mm-hmm. same. Um, but for advancement, you're picking... You know, you are choosing, and sometimes the story doesn't let your goal be made. So you don't get that 
it, you don't get those points for that. Yeah, it's just the, the opportunity just doesn't present itself, yeah. So sometimes you just don't get the bonuses that everyone else gets. And that happens. Mm-hmm. Would I say that there is a jealousy that can happen there? 100%. Sure. How do you avoid that jealousy? You can't. And I will say, I'm going to say though this wor- these words to you because I think it fits more with this statement than anything else. As a storyteller, you cannot control the emotions of the people at your table. Stop trying to set expectations on whether or not they will be jealous or hateful or uncomfortable. Or happy or even notice. Yep. Literally, vibe check at the beginning of your game and understand that everybody comes with different things and will leave with different things. Yep. Just make sure the communication is open. But the moment you start worrying whether or not mechanics are going to cause jealousy, you are going way too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You're going way too far. They will let you know. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can react. Mm-hmm. That's when you can react and help the game become better. All right, yeah. Um, all right, so Nevin's next question here. Uh, when and how do I deal with character progression in a story? Uh, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my mouth shut. Entirely dependent upon the story you're telling and... Uh, Episode 204, please. Can we just move on? <laughs> because I want to say so much. There's so many things that you could say to that statement. Okay, that's fine. Don't answer it. it. The, I, I can't answer this one. Um, no, I'm just saying, is, is it your... I, I think advancement in your story um, really needs to depend on on the story you're telling. Yes. Every story is unique. Uh, every system is unique and how it handles advancement and stuff like that. So um, it, I think it's too broad of a question to, to, to accurately answer, Yeah, honestly. There's a show I, about this. I, I tend to like doing it at dramatic moments, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is going to be my cheap and easy answer is just I like doing it at dramatic moments. You guys accomplished a major thing in the story. Fine, you get an advance out of it, mm-hmm. you know. But that's again, that's a ground rule for that, that works well for Savage Worlds. The the age old answer that I will give is this: in almost every major story, there are two points when advancement occurs. Mm-hmm. One at the opening, meaning it is presented to you to show you that you will advance, mm-hmm. which is often a gift given mm-hmm. to the hero. They gain a, a special weapon that they don't even know how to use. Here, Luke, here's your lightsaber. Exactly, but it shows where they will end up. And oftentimes that's a telegraphed move between you and the character that says, okay, I'm giving you this, but you don't know any, you don't know how to even utilize this. You're a Jedi. Exactly. Spoilers, Obi-Wan, come on. You're a wizard, Harry. Like all of this kind of stuff. And then the other is, like you said, at a point of growth. Yeah. When the story makes a dramatic turn, so do the characters. Luke springs Leia out of the, out of the holding cell in the Death Star. Level up. Yep, exactly. Yep. Uh, all right, so uh, Nevin's got Nevin's got two more here. Um, Let's hit him real quick, and then we're getting uh, uh, oh, we can oh, hit Mickey's. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so a few games have progression mechanisms uh, for for the storyteller, meaning the possibilities of the storyteller evolve through time. What are your feelings on such systems? Uh, I'm thinking of the Japanese game Ryutama. Um, I'll be honest with you. I did not have time. To, you, you, you graciously provided us a link to Ryutama. I did not have time to research it. You know, I'm going to say this. Um, I'm aware of these systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I know I've looked at a couple game systems that have these 
where as the story progresses and gets deeper, the the storyteller gets more tools to use. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Urban Shadows has some mechanics for this in it, where basically as the Doom Clock rises, you get more effort to be able to more put moves? more 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 effort more... to 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 spend. Okay. Uh, because otherwise you're hampered by how much you can spend. Oh, gotcha. As okay. a story on the story side, um, I kind of like this because as long as the players are aware of it, they know that as the story progresses, things are going to get challenging and more challenging. Um, because it's it's right straight there uh, to a degree. Seventh C did this with drama. Mm-hmm. And presented it so like, you, you know, all of you were presented with a certain amount of drama at the beginning of the game. And then you spent that drama and gave it to me to spend into the story. Yeah. And it is way more present in second edition uh, that cost turnover because now it's mine to spend. Right, right, right. And that's the mechanics where, okay, now I have weight to be able to do things within the story against you to make it more dramatic, to increase the to increased rates to make things more stressful, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, from from my perspective, it definitely puts a different lilt on the storytelling, as long as the players are very aware of that's what it's doing. It can't be subjective. It can't be like, oh, by the way, now that I have these dice, here I'm spending two, so your 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 rate your your challenge rating just went up from a five from a ten to fifteen. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, crap, you're... Okay, the world just got tougher because of this. No, you you have to... That has to be telegraphed well in advance. I'm going to be honest with you. I dislike dislike systems like this. Um, I, I especially dislike it if it's tied to a dice mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like the more the storyteller touches dice and adds random elements into the story... Um, the more things can go off the rails mm-hmm. and the more it can potentially screw the players, um, based on a die, die roll. I, I'm going to go of the same mind. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't like doing it. Um, I think there's a place for it and there's some gauging for it. If you want to do it, like I didn't do it in seven C I could have, and I didn't. You did though. Um, only during boss fights. There was, I mean, I don't say this is like, but I, I'm let me finish my statement. Yeah. Every time I have ever used it, it has hampered the story from the player's perspective. They've not felt comfortable with it. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had a table comfortable with it, nor have I ever had a table comfortable with things coming out that are clearly in the rules, but like had never been used layer yep. actions. Yeah. Uh, bosses having, being able to do interrupt in a fight. Like, where did this come from? Alterations that the story has, that the storyteller has as a tool set that the players are unaware of and they become a surprise. Mm-hmm. Dice surprises, yeah. changes, things like that, make the game very uncomfortable. Um, I, for, for me, uh, I, I, I am a lot more comfortable. Like, first of all, I've started rolling all of my dice out in the open. Always. Um, just because it takes that layer of ambiguity out of, out of any of the game, what's whatnot. And removing the, the, the screen between myself and the players. Yeah. Removes a layer of adverse, adverse, ad, uh, adversity, adversity, adversity between us. Um, but giving them just the dice to roll. You yeah. don't have any. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, like uh, you see, Power by the Apocalypse does this a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Blades in the Dark does this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Storyteller doesn't touch the dice. Mm-mm. 
If if there's something like oh you're gonna you're you're being swung at, it's not that I'm rolling to hit you. You're rolling to defend. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Simple as that. Okay, you want to do something to me? Cool. Now you need to roll this. And you already know the target numbers. There's mm-hmm. no, you're, they're being set together at the table. Yeah. It's not me being a problem here. I'm literally just ref- refereeing the rule set. Yeah, yeah. I I tend to like the storyteller seat to be as hands off and as stable as possible. Mm-hmm. So having background rules that your players may or may not be comfortable, uh, familiar with, comfortable with, that change how they think things should work. Mm-hmm. Just sounds like a recipe for disaster to me. No, or I mean, if if not disaster, at least someone coming away from it a little disgruntled and not enjoying as much as they could. Yep. I'd like to leave Nevim's last question for the very end. Let's go. Uh, so Miki, uh, when characters progress, do you try to tie it into the actual storylines, or do you just go level up? Congrats! And suddenly they have new powers, weapons, joined a school of magic out of nowhere. Um, I. I I would say in answering the previous question, uh, one of the previous questions is, yeah, putting it within a progression point within the story um, makes it feel more natural, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're, they're expecting that, because that's how things go. I mean, I guess it depends on the advancement system. Like, I don't think it would be terribly out of scope for, like, Savage Worlds to give an advance while you guys are out on the road somewhere, because the... The power curve is flat enough that, you know, I went up from a D8 to a D10 and shooting is not like, right. a, oh my god, how did you do that? You didn't know how to do that yesterday. No, I'm just slightly better at shooting because I've been practicing. Mouse guard's the same way. Yeah, exactly. Mouse guard's the same way. You, you'll you do that, you'll level up within a roll. Yeah. Ho- horizontal Be- is is very easy because to you do literally that you don't have levels. You literally level up one skill at a time. Mm-hmm. So it's like... Oh, I just failed a, uh, a a scout role. I learned a life lesson. I learned a life lesson. Now mm-hmm. my scouting is better. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's I think that is the change. I think that is the definite thing. I think if you're you're doing a very heroic game where the where the achievements are uh, vertical, do it during a progression point. If or, it, otherwise, or at very least, try to weave in some sort of story, you know, narrative for it. So, like, you know, if if uh, you're Warlock has some sort of major milestone where they gain, you know, uh, a new really cool class-defining ability or something like that. Um, You know, have their patron contact them or something, you know? Mm -hmm. If it's a a wizard learning a big, you know, big cool spell or something like that, you know, um, talk to them about, you know, where they learned it. Have they been, is this something they've been researching on their own and they finally had a... Uh, a breakthrough in their research where they're like, oh, I finally, f-, you know, because I, I did that in your game mm-hmm. where it was like, you know, I, I, we leveled up and I learned teleportation circle mm-hmm. and I had this whole discussion with the group. I was like, guys, I've been working on this for a while. It's, I, I've, I thought I had the mechanics behind it down. You know, I do all sorts of conjuration and stuff like that, but mostly that's yanking elementals out of various, you know, mm-hmm. planes of existence and whatnot. I couldn't figure out how to move us from point to point without going in between planes and whatnot. But I saw this magic circle, and it gave me some ideas. And so I've been studying it in my book for the last, you know, three mm-hmm. months. And I worked out how to do it. Mm-hmm. I can do it now. Yep. What was all that about? Uh, we went up a level. I got teleportation circle, guys. Yep. That's yep. it. That's <laughs> it. Simple as that. Simple as that. But it was a cool character moment for me. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was fantastic. I got to throw shade at the other wizard for not knowing crap about teleportation, yep, you know? Yep, yep, Understanding the theories behind it, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't trust you to teleport us anywhere. <laughs> Second guy. <laughs> Second right? guy. 
<laughs> All right. So the final question from uh, that we have here is: Do we need an advancement system in games? No, I don't think we do. No. Um. The question that I the, the answer that I have to that is: Does your table need advancement in your game? That's the better question. And that's what you need to ask. That's a better question. Uh, talking to my own players, um, they I, I've I've asked them about advancement before, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much all of my players, even you, have kind of answered like, "I mean, we're just here for the story. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really, you know, care if we go up in huge power levels or not. We mm-hmm. can we can sit at this power level for a long time. Like, I feel like I feel like the story is advancing, and we're growing as characters, not as you know numbers, and that's more important to us. Yep. And I went, okay, cool, you know. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm not going to pepper in some advances along the way, but I feel no, no. a lot less pressure to, like, shower you guys in power so I can, you know, play into that power fantasy, you know? Yeah. I I find that if advancement is a thing in my games, uh, I have a harder time. And yes, you do. I, I have a much harder time. Uh-huh. And so I, I will say that uh, even just going forward, I am going to do bo- both less games with advancement... Or advancement that is very horizontal or very board game-like. Yeah. Where everyone sees the advancement together and it's part of the story. Yep. You guys now have achieved control of this. You now have received this item or this new transport method. Three months pass as you build up your little pirate cove. Yep. Uh, You all go up a level and now we're starting a new chapter of the story that you are... X power level, not Y power level. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So easy. All right. So we are taking a, a break from this a little bit for next week because uh, uh, we've we actually had to put off an episode so that we could have some guests. Yeah. So the next time we come back to this topic, not next week, but the week after, we actually have two authors joining us mm-hmm. uh, that are going to be uh, talking with us about how power level changes the game. Yep. Uh, and changes the story. Uh, but next week's topic uh, is something that we're kind of coming back to, sort of. Uh, when we had uh, Dr. Jason Cox on, yeah. uh, he had brought up Thousand Year Old Vampire, which is a single player game. Uh, and he was doing a variant 500 uh, year old uh, vampire. And I've never played single player games, I, mean, I have very have little experience in them except for in discussions with other people. But they are becoming a very popular kind of new indie genre yeah i'm a little excited to go do some research on that right uh so we're gonna take you guys on the journey of sarah and i learning about single player games and apparently single player D &D and single player shadow run oh boy like there there are some variants out there and some adventures that have been recrafted uh to single player in these systems so Mm -hmm. i'm 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 kind of interested to see where this goes, and hopefully you guys can enjoy the journey uh, with us on this one. So yeah, right on. All right, we'll see you next week. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. Uh, shoot us these great questions. We had tons of great yeah, questions we love tonight. These so questions. thank you so much. Um, feel free to uh, uh, join us up on our Discord. Shoot us any questions you want to hear us answer on the air, or just join the discussion with the other st- great storytellers that are on there and uh, hash things out with your, your your game or whatnot. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website storytellerconclave.com. 
We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help support us every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subject, uh, The Arcane Asylum, Veteran, Hulavu, Sam, Sean, and Sparkle Motion. We appreciate all your support every single month. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. And our intro music, Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at uh, geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. Our outro music, which you're hearing in front right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Meteor Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank, Thank you so much for Thank loving you. and supporting us. All of our friends who sat at our tables over the years to give us these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.